Good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here, and whether you're uh, live streaming or you are live, I always love connecting with you, and this is the first Sunday of a brand new series. No, really, who's your one? And some of you who were part of this church maybe a year ago or so, you're like, wait, didn't we already do that? And last year it was called Who's Your One? And some of you are thinking, are you just going to give those same messages all over again? Are you getting all lazy? Tap? No, that's not because I know you take notes in your Bible and you would be able to catch me on anything like that. And so we just really wanted this notion that all of us have a story to tell. All of us who name the name of Jesus, all of us, and, and I don't know who that is in this place. It could be most of you. It could be some of you, but I, I know it's a good chunk of you. Everyone who has said yes to Jesus, you said yes because at some point someone shared him with you. And, and we just want that whole notion to move from a, a series of messages that we do every once in a while into something we really value and talk about as a community. And today as we start this brand new series, no, really, who's your one? The first message is called saying those things that go without saying. And if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 through 13. And we're going to be spending actually all the, the four Sundays of the series, I, I believe, if I remember right, they all come from this same section. So by the time we're finished, you will really know Romans chapter 10 and verses nine and following. If your Bible's not here with you, you don't have one that looks like this, and maybe it's loaded on your phone, find it that way. And if you don't have either one of those options, the words will be up on the screen when they need to be up on the screen. And, and that's really a high priority for us because we believe a couple of things about the Bible. And, and, and one of those things that we believe about the Bible is that this thing that I'm holding in my hand, it looks like a book. It's got covers and pages and the pages have words and numbers. It looks like a book, not a book. It's a library. It's a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over an enormous span of time. And, and in, in the, what, what's called the book of Romans is actually a letter, a letter from Paul, pastor, missionary, author, to the church in the city of, hello, Rome. Yes, this is not a trick question. The people getting the letter are them there, Romans getting the letter. So written probably uh, 55 or 60 AD. And that's just a fact that a lot of people don't know, not book is library. The, the other thing that we believe at this church about scripture moves to deeply held conviction and you may or may not share this conviction, and, and either way is okay, but we like to have clarity about who we are, and, and it's this. We, we believe in church leadership that there's no other library like this one. God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We actually believe the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that belief, we have kind of an odd custom here when we talk about the Bible, this church, we lift it up. And, and if you've never been here before, and I've talked to a lot of people today who've never been here before, and you're, you're looking around and you see Bibles in the air and phones in the air, and you're like, this is, just, this is just a little bit strange. You know what we say? We admit it. It is strange. But we've discovered that this, you'll get used to it, I promise. And we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, we're a collection of people glad to be surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. So Lord, thank you for the, the, 
the Holy Spirit who breathed just incredible power and truth and life into this ancient letter. And, and Lord, I thank you that when the Holy Spirit was finished with that, he didn't sit back and rest on his accomplishments. He's still moving and, and still active. And so I ask, Lord, that you would fill me with a fresh filling up of that same Holy Spirit and all of his goodness and all of his joy. Because, Lord, I'm really happy to be able to declare to you and in front of these people, I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm not helpless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you probably are familiar with that phrase, it goes without saying. Which means that there, there are some things that are so obvious, so clear to anyone paying even a little bit of attention that these things are so obvious and so clear. Hello, you don't even have to pronounce them out loud. They just go without saying. Like, like it goes without saying that water's wet. Air is light. Fire is hot. Gas prices are high. It's a bad idea to invite your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend to your wedding. It goes without saying. Some things are just so clear and so obvious that you can just assume them. You don't even have to declare them. And the reason that, that I'm telling you about those things that go without saying is that as, as we start this brand new series, no, really, who's your one? And as we get ready to settle in in Romans chapter 10 for several weeks together, what really hinges how, how the, not only the passage that we're gonna look at together, but the whole message series, it all pivots on those things that in the middle, middle of all the incredible, remarkable things that Paul does say in his letter to this church, the things that he doesn't say, the things that he implies, but, but doesn't say clearly, they're even more powerful. They are even more impactful. And I can't wait, I can't wait to, to tell you the thing that I'm, gonna, that I'm gonna tell you and to show you the thing that I'm gonna show you. It goes without saying, because throughout the letter of, of Romans, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Paul's whole agenda, like from, from chapter one all the way on, he's writing into this, this letter to this ancient city, the church in the ancient city of Rome. And his whole point has been to let the church there know that there are not two different paths to heaven to a relationship with God, one for Jew and one for Gentile. I know this seems like an odd notion to us, but believe me, it was at the forefront of Paul's mind and it was at the forefront of the church's thinking that, that so many in the early church thought, okay, there's one way to get to God for this group of people and another way to get to God for this group of people. And Paul's whole point has been, no, 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 no. One path for all people. And that one path for all people apparently has to do with, with, with a faith that, faith that is declared and, and then a faith that's defined. Because look how he starts this particular section. Romans chapter 10 and verse nine, it says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, comma, you will 
be saved. Now, this is remarkably good news. And to, to a lot of us living in, in North America in the, in the 21st century, we're like, ah, all you got to do is say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and, 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 and that's it. And now, that is true. That's what it says. What you may not know is that saying those words, Jesus is Lord, was a lot more complicated for the ancient Romans than it is for us. And, and we say this about the Bible a lot, but always remember, it wasn't written to you. It was preserved for you, but it was written to them. And in this case, it was written, written to those, the, those early Romans. And in their case, if the wrong person heard you say, if you lived in Roman, when Paul's writing, the, Ro, if you lived in Roman, if you lived in Roman, you're living in a made up place. If you lived in Rome, when Paul's writing this letter and the wrong person heard you say, Jesus is Lord, that could be a death sentence for you. Because in Rome, the creed, the national creed was Caesar is Lord. And, and, and Caesar as the Lord, he did not like any competition. And we all know that Jesus is not just competition, he's conqueror. And so the Roman government was very skeptical of all these people running around the city of Rome saying, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar's Lord, Jesus is Lord. And so when Paul says, hey, if you declare with your mouth, if you're willing to say upon the pain of death, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will, you will be saved. And, and, and the, the implication clearly seems to be whether it's first century Rome or 21st century Carolinas, that, that this, this, uh, uh, this saving relationship with God has a lot more to do with allegiance than with routine. But look what else he says. You, if you declare with your mouth, it just goes to show you that when you know the backstory behind what the words of scripture say, it's so much more interesting and so much more energizing, actually. But he, he says this, God raised him from the dead, comma, you will be saved. Do you know what Paul is saying there by what he's not saying, what goes without saying, you will be saved matters because, hello, you can be lost. Before Jesus, before Paul, lostness was a real possibility. And, and Paul goes on with this kind of thinking. Look at what he says in verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. When it says justified there, you, you think of what happens when you're doing word processing and you justify the paragraphs. You make them all right. Justified is being made right with God, which implies, again, you start out your life. This is shocking truth. You start out your life on the, on the wrong side of God, you, but you, with, with your Heart you believe and you're made right with him and with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. Again, the, 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 what, what he's saying without saying it, well, the assurance that he gives us about salvation and faith and justifying is all because what he assumes is that without Jesus, man, you're in a pickle, you're, you're in a fixed lostness. Being wrong with God on the outs with God is a real possibility. And then, then he goes on. Verse 11, and verse 11 and 12, he gets to the heart of the book. As scripture says, 
Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, verse 12, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And we're like, well, duh, everybody knows that. Nobody knew it when Paul was writing. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And then he brings it all home in verse 13, where he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that, that very first word, for, that lets you know, it's a, this is my summary statement. I mean, I've got building block and building block and building block and building block. And now I've, I've got all my building blocks together. And here's the wall of truth that I have created, Paul says. Everyone who calls, calls on the name of the Lord, not performs for the name of the Lord, not born into the right family with the right genealogy for the Lord, not, not has exactly the right obedience or behavior for the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, this is great news. This is the kind of verse that you, you put on a bumper sticker, you make a keychain out of, you take it to the bank and you're like, yeah, that's my life verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Yeah. However, but why does he go all to all these links to say this? What, what is Paul saying by what he's not saying? What is it that goes without saying? If everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, the reverse is so obviously true because everyone who doesn't call on the name of the Lord will be lost, not as a TV show, but as an everlasting state of people's soul. You see, as, as we start this series on telling your story and, and sharing your faith and having someone in your life who has yet to say yes to Jesus, and you decide that person is your one and you wanna do whatever you can to persuade, to love, to influence that person to say yes to the Lord they've currently put on pause or ignore. It's such a foundational place to begin this understanding that, that uh, hell, if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, everyone who doesn't call on the name of the Lord will be lost. Hell is real. And I say that, that hell is real because Jesus, sweet, meek, and mild Jesus. I mean, the church is called Good Shepherd because he's a good shepherd, but Jesus, meek and mild Jesus, he spoke more about hell than anyone else did in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that or not, but just one of many examples, Luke chapter 12 and verses four and five, look what, look what he says. I, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That Jesus said that? Yeah. At this church for this series, we believe hell is real because Jesus believed hell is real. At this church and for this series, 
We believe in what you get when you cross Frank Sinatra with ACDC. You know what you get when you cross him? You get my way to hell. We, you're welcome. You can share that every party you go to this week. Yeah, but we, we believe it at this church and for this series. We believe that, that even for those of you, and I, I don't even have to persuade you that hell exists. You, 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 you got that, you, you, you believe that, but even the most ardent hell believers among you, that's probably not a bumper sticker that you should make. I'm an ardent hell believer. Even you, and, even, and, I'm, and I'm convinced hell is real, yet every time I find myself wanting to remove hell from my vocabulary or from my beliefs. If, 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 if every time I want, you know, it just that this whole living thing, the whole faith thing would be so much easier if there wasn't a hell, if I wasn't worried about it and didn't have to teach about it. And every time I find myself bumping up against that, I encounter not only the words of Jesus, but the deeds of Jesus and specifically the cross. See, denying hell diminishes the cross because if hell does not exist, then the cross, I mean, if everybody goes to, to heaven when they die anyway, then the cross means that, the, that Jesus was not the victor on the cross, he was the victim of it. And as the victim of it, he was the victim of the Father. And actually, Jesus is the victim of this great cosmic trick. Oh, we're sending you to the cross, but you didn't really have to go there because everybody's going to heaven anyway. He's the victim of a trick that the Father plays on the Son. And I'm not willing to believe that. I'm not willing to believe that about the Father or the Son or what happened on Calvary. No, we believe that on the cross, I don't know if you know this or not, we believe that, that on the cross, Jesus endured and went through all the fury and all the wrath and all the outside. That's why he wasn't crucified within the city limits of Jerusalem. He was crucified outside. We, we believe he endured all that abandonment, all of it in a moment and all of it in your place. Because after all, what is it that he calls out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what, that's what hell is. See, the utter forsakenness of God. And what clearer example, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but in that moment and for those instances, Jesus was lost so you would be found. Yeah, denying hell diminishes the cross and God help us if we ever become a cross diminishing church we want to be a cross elevating church and it all brings us to 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 this point including those of you who I just maybe I believe in hell but just don't talk about it in church please no we lift up the bible for a reason here but here's Here's what you need to know. Here, here's what I want us to get as you think about your one person. Hell is real. And it's our job to prevent its expansion. That, that hell is real. And as we think about sharing faith with other people who haven't said yes to Jesus, hell isn't the first word 
that we say to them about faith. Like when we go knock on doors, you might've knocked on some of your doors in the blesses house ministry and people open the door. And the first question, I promise you, the first question, the first part of the conversation that we have is never, hi, I'm Talbot Davis from Good Shepherd Church. If you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? We don't, we don't do that. First thing, it's, so it's not the, it's not the, it's not the first, first, but it has to be a word. Hell is real. And preventing its expansion is, is our privilege. And I, and I guess I, I believe this in, in, with kind of some emotion and some fervor because it's what worked with me when I was an atheist teenager. And, and some of you who I don't know at all yet, I was not raised. The, the fact that I'm a pastor for a living, the odds against that at my birth were extraordinarily long. But when I was an atheist teenager and my friend was giving me gospel smackdown the night I actually ended up saying yes to Jesus, one of the many things that he said was, hey, there really is a hell, Talbot, and I don't want you to go there. Jesus really is coming back. And when he does, I want you to be on his side and I don't want you to be on the losing side. And my, my friend literally actually scared the hell out of me. And thank God for, thank, thank God for that. Yeah. Hell is real, people. And we have this privilege. I mean, Jesus is the one who guarantees our way out by what he did on the cross and through, its, through the resurrection. But he's given us the privilege of declaring that news and preventing its expansion. And for those of you who are a little bit squeamish about this whole notion and, and, and you didn't really expect to come to a church on a nice Sunday in May and, and hear talk about hell and, and maybe deep down you, you, you think that hell turns God into an ogre. Consider this. What, what kind of God wouldn't punish Hitler or Bin Laden or Lenin, or the Buffalo shooter for the unspeakable horror that they inflicted upon, upon planet Earth. I mean, can, can, can you imagine, oh, Adolf, Adolf, it was just a misunderstanding, come on in. Osama, you're good, we're good, we're good. Come on in. That's a monster God. That's a God who cannot be trusted. A God who will not deal fully and finally with that kind of wickedness is a God we cannot trust. And, and some of you are like, okay, that makes sense. Thank you for putting it that way, Talbot. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But, but Talbot, that, that, you've explained the really bad people, but what about all just the normally bad people? Where's the line? I believe hell's for the really bad, but where's the line? And most of you, if I were to ask you, well, where is the line? You'd be, you'd be like, just the other side of me. <laughs> Which is why Romans 3.23 says the same letter to the same church where Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. So asking where the line is, is completely the wrong question. Because the line isn't about our performance, the line is about our position, bought or not. 
surrendered or not? Having faith in or too busy for? Yeah, hell is real. And we have this remarkable privilege of being able to share with our friends and with our family and with our loved ones, with the one, you, you've got a person, those of you who've said yes to Jesus, and I've talked about talking to the person who hasn't yet said yes to him, you have a person in your mind, you have someone who's been on your heart. And that privilege that we have of being able to share what it means to be able to say, yeah, I've been bought, I didn't earn it. Jesus bought it. I've been delivered, I didn't achieve it, Jesus gave it. That privilege that we have, man. Then the question becomes not, how do I get over my fear of talking about my faith? But it becomes, well, how can I shut up about how good God is? Because when you get gripped, because we've talked about hell, but when you get gripped about how, why would I settle? Why would I settle for the ugliness that I deserve? when I can have the beauty that I don't. And when you get gripped by how good heaven will be, and I, I don't know exactly what heaven will be like. I don't even, exactly, that's like the worst word to choose in that sentence right there, Talbot. I don't know at all what heaven will be like. I just know who's in its center. And because I know who is in its center and it is Jesus Christ crucified and risen and reigning, I know that that will be a realm where every wrong gets right, made right, every confusion all of a sudden makes sense and it is in fact a sin-free realm where all we will feel and all we will know is his love. As great as it is to go to heaven and be reunited with parents and grandparents and whomever you wanna be reunited with in heaven, that's nothing compared to adoring the Savior who's at heaven's center. And when when you get gripped by that, how can you help but tell it? I mean, really, it's like those those eye exams, you know, when they they ask you, well, which, which is better, this or this? And when I think about heaven and hell, it's a little bit like, which would you rather drive? I think we have some photos for you. Would you, would you rather drive this, a gremlin, or this? And which would you, what would you rather look like, a this or this? Where would you rather stay, here or here? Where would you rather live, here or here? Yeah, that's what we get to share. That's what we get to communicate. Why settle people? Hell is real. And it may not be the first word that you share with that one who's on your heart, but it is a word. It is your motivating force because like my friend did with me, you actually want to scare the hell out of people. And I guess out of all those examples, that that one about Alcatraz, prison Alcatraz really gets to me because I don't know if you know this or not, but Alcatraz, that prison on the island in the San Francisco Bay and, and the chances of, of escaping Alcatraz were, were almost nil, that if you could get off the island, which is unlikely, you would 
freeze to death and drown in the churning waters of the San Francisco Bay. Because you know what they say about San Francisco is that the coldest winter I ever spent is a summer in San Francisco. And that's even more true of those waters in the bay. But think about it. The people in Alcatraz, in that prison, for all that time, they could see the fruits of freedom in the distance, but had no way of accessing it. And I have to believe that that's what it's like with hell. That one reason at least that God allows its existence is so that his glory and and his goodness and his beauty would contrast all that much more vividly with the pain of rejection. Hell is real. And it's our job to prevent its expansion. It goes without saying, but let's say it anyway. Let's pray. So Lord, you are good. And we thank you for the glorious promise that everyone who calls on your name will be saved. And even the ominous implication of that. Would you give us the courage, the boldness, and the decisiveness to share that really good news with people we know who have yet to say yes to you? In the strong and the saving name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Christ alone, we pray. Amen.